0: This is the science of winning
1: the science of winning
0: hashtag winning losers do not know how to win purchase my book this is the green majority c i u t eighty nine point five f m or your local community radio station or your podcast application harbinger media network unrigged dot c a foils the goat has been clowned has been uh Sorry, that's too much information too early. <laughs> I got a lot I got a lot in the tank here and uh, I don't want to uh, freak people out by giving too much realness, too much truth mm. too early on in this program. <clears throat> What's your name? David Franklin Erwin Hostetter.
1: I'm Stefan Christian Erwin Hostetter.
0: You only asked me mine in order to say yours. That's well, true. I that is that. selfish. Yeah. That is manipulative. A little bit. Lauren Elizabeth Corlatour is not here today. She is in the U-A-E. Dubai. Dubizai She posted an Instagram story. Tasteless. Tacky. <laughs> no, I will not be repeating it here. She's there for COP28, which is not going very well. From no. From what I've heard.
1: I mean, it never feels like it's going well right now, and I'm not really sure. It seems to be
0: going even worse.
1: Worse than normal.
0: Like, I feel like it's been just... It's, it's been worse and worse every year for the past three
2: years.
1: I mean, I think since Paris, no one has really had a particular great vibe about it. Some of the agreements early on uh, of this particular cop were positive. The fact that they adopted the loss and damage conversation at the very beginning was uh, was uh, something that was positive. I think um, the
0: guy uh, running it... Sorry?
1: Oh, the guy running it is an oil...
0: He said, he said there's no science linking fossil fuel phase out to 1.5 degrees celsius or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean there are some serious problems obviously with with this scenario. There's been con- interesting conversations honestly within the climate activist movement about like at what what point does one begin to boycott these uh, instead of giving them legitimacy? And I think that's an interesting question. I I personally still think that there's a pretty strong argument to be made to go and to make your voice heard. And because it is one of the unique places to actually have these conversations on a global scale. But I mean, at some point, you do have to start having the conversation about how co-opted have you have we allowed these to be. And and that starts with, you know, who you're letting lead the lead the the cop in the first place, which, again, this year is a former oil CEO
0: um excuse me okay i am a rhinoceros a unicorn are we gonna do energy climate news prior to your desired discussion about the population question
1: i th- a eugenicist that's not at all how this is gonna go mm. that's gonna be the opposite of what's gonna happen okay. um i mean i think i could go either way how are you feeling
0: well, what do we what are we looking at in terms of your pro eugenics tirade we're about to witness here? I mean,
1: again, li- literally nothing about this uh, is pro eugenics, but I have <laughs> a <laughs> series of thoughts. You know what? Let's start with it. How are you, start how have you organized? <laughs> all right, we're gonna do it. We're just gonna do it now. What, what so if we, we do dipped
0: it? Dipped back. All right, all right, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do Stefan's. Stefan's peeny little weenie in the segment.
1: <laughs> I don't like this at all.
0: The question of population, how it relates to environmentalism. Yes. And after that, we're going to do climate news. Sure. And the show will be over.
1: That's the idea. But I, I promised you to get deliver facts. I'm delivering okay, facts. Stefan also
0: not has facts. News. They're not news, but they're facts. Yes. Okay, so so what about population? I mean, what are we talking about
1: here? Well, yeah, well, let's, let's start, well, as a complete aside, I will just note that there was, at COP28, there was a panel that was based around sustainable yachting, and there's a mm. great image from that panel of these men sitting on stage, and uh, behind them is a boat, and it just says, Why catamarans? And I think that that is a good segue in. Is the catamaran a yacht or is kind of yacht or? I presume it's a smaller boat. It doesn't matter. It does not matter because it's still a luxury item. And why I want to talk about population and Malthusianism and you know what that looks like to build.
0: Malthusianism. Yes. You said Malthusianism.
1: Malthusianism. I mean, the
0: guy needs to enunciate. All right. All right. Um, also, I think your usage of that term is pretentious.
1: Really? <laughs> I mean, Thomas Malthus has infected our lives, Dave. This is what the whole thing's about. Because we've talked about the show on the show a whole bunch before. We've got we've gone over it. I'm sure you could go back to previous years and find conversations we've done about it. And I honestly thought that it was sort of something that we, as a climate community, had left in the past. But I was at a meeting recently in some local climate activist organization, and multiple people during this meeting brought up the fact that they thought overpopulation was maybe not the most important, but a very important thing to also talk about in the discussion of, honestly, this point was about municipal emissions. And I made me realize that perhaps it's still actually more widespread than I thought. And so I thought that maybe it'd be useful to run through some facts for folks in case they come across this in their daily lives, and they want to sort of argue against it, or maybe still are out there thinking, well, I mean, population growth does seem like a problem. And let me just give you a reason why you should uh, be dissuaded of that belief. I'll just start with sort of the idea of population growth in general. There's this idea that we're sort of on this exponential trend, and that, you know, we're growing faster and faster and faster. And we expect this to sort of, you know, totally, very quickly mean that we have way too many people on the planet. And that's just really not what is actually expected. Population estimates continue to go down. In 2017, the prediction was that there'd be 11.2 billion people by 2100. In 2019, it went down to 10.9 billion. And then post-pandemic, birth rates have decreased even further. And the most recent data has the population peaking around 2086 at 10.4 billion people. And so this continues to trend downwards as a whole bunch of different factors come into play. And the fertility rate f- over, uh, for the world peaked in 1963 and has been decreasing ever since.
0: What does that mean, fertility rate?
1: The number of children born per uh, woman, basically. It was at 5.01 or something in 2063. It's now hovering around 24 <clears throat>
0: 1963,
1: it was five? Yeah. Wow. And, and basically, once it gets below 2.1, population will start decreasing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, because... That's, that's math. That's math. So, like, we're basically, at this point, quite likely to hit around 10 billion people, and that's roughly where it will stop. So let's start there. I'm, I'm going to leave that in the side for a second. And I am going to talk about emissions now. And then I'll come back to this whole thing at the end. If you're trying to reduce carbon and try to understand where emissions come from. You can obviously sort of understand this idea that if we're in a world where there's runaway population growth, that eventually we'll have, that, that, that's a problem we'll have to deal with that. But we've already established that that's almost certainly not the world we live in. The science and the, and the data really does not show that. And so if you want to look where the emissions do come from, we once again get back to this sort of tired old trope, which is just because it's true, which is that the very, very rich are a huge percentage of this problem. The richest 1% of people are responsible for 16% of global emissions. The richest 10% of humanity creates 52% of emissions. And the bottom 50% of people produce only 7%. And if you look at where populations are growing and and decreasing across the world in terms of birth rates and things like that, the places where you're seeing more people are in these lower-income countries – where their emissions per person will be drastically lower. And honestly, much of the EU and Canada and a lot of other parts of the world um, are already actually seeing decreasing numbers. And the only reason their population is increasing is because of immigration. And I'll get to sort of why that matters in a second as well. But a few other just things to know about emissions the global average energy-related carbon footprint, so every individual person. That's the same as just driving an SUV for 18 months, or it's the same as two round-trip flights between Singapore and New York. So anyone who's flying across the world is basically emitting the entire emissions of one person's needs for energy in a year. And as of 2021... The high-income and upper-middle-income countries, which together combine for only 48% of the world's population, were responsible for 82% of the CO2 added each year. So that's a huge percentage. 82% of emissions are coming from less than half of the world's population. When you look at all that information, that A, the emissions are, that the population is likely going to peak around 10 million, and B, that the richer side of the, of, the, of the world is vastly more responsible for emissions. The only way you can really imagine reducing emissions quickly and lastingly is to tackle those emissions first, fastest. And there is no sustainable world when 1% of the population is emitting 16% of emissions. That just is impossible. And so when we are talking about tackling emissions... As a general concept of conversation, and someone comes up and says, "Well, population growth is a problem." The short answer is, no, it's it's not. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be because if you actually tackled the emissions of the ultra wealthy, and if you actually tackled the emissions of the, the sort of the emissions and the waste caused by the, our sort of uh, overall society, you would get drastically better and faster emission reductions. And then the other other part that I would just throw in here before sort of coming to a a close or maybe moving to more conversation is that what would happen if you sort of ignored the overarching capitalist society only focused on population growth? Like, What if we decided as a society that we were like, you know what? The people who really worry about population growth is the one thing we really care about. And so we're going to go out and try to do that. We're going we're to stop population growth. And that's going to be our solution to this problem. I mean, A, going back to the fact that that's a terrible idea. Every time it's been tried has, has been incredibly uh, bad and led to horrible, horrible atrocities. Leaving even that aside... The system we're in, the capital system we're in, fully relies on population growth to continue. The way that we pay for old people is with the work of more and more young people. And the and the debt transfer that comes uh, from that, that we keep paying off our debts because there are more people to pay for that, means that if we actually did stop population growth, that would be an absolutely... Huge problem for the global economy as it stands right now, and so you wouldn't you wouldn't preserve the sort of global economy that's the goal. If the goal is like, well, I still want to live in this expense this this way where I can you know frivolously go fly wherever I like or spend whatever I like and yada yada yada. Like that world would come to a crash if we actually lost the population growth. And that's actually a significant problem that we see is that countries like Japan are currently facing as their population ages. You know, they have a harder and harder time maintaining their their rate of growth. And because of our economic system, that is bumping up against some serious problems. And so what you'd end up with is you'd still see this sort of collapse of the economic system that is sort of, I would say, the the climate justice Uh, opinion on our major problems you know is this particular idea so you'd still see that then the destruction of this sort of system we live in and yet you wouldn't have actually addressed some of the major uh inequities you would have honestly created more inequities by trying to sort of you know hold down population growth and you would see a consistent Emissions coming from the sort of upper upper echelons because you're you did nothing to try to stop that. And so, you know, ultimately, by focusing on population, it's a, a distraction from the, the real problem, that is the you know, the system that we the capitalist system that we currently live in. This system that we live in that is the real problem is built on the necessity of population growth. And so, no matter what, even if you manage successfully decreased population, you are still stuck with this larger question, larger problem. And if you want something quick, and if you want to reduce emissions as quickly as possible, which is very, very true, like we have to reduce as many much emissions, the faster we reduce emissions now, the more emissions we reduce quickly, the easier it will be to uh, to get to a 1.5 world, because the longer we wait, the more emissions we're, re- we're emitting at a higher, higher rate. The least sticky emissions, like the emissions that are easiest to sort of carve off and get do away with, are the emissions of the very wealthy. You know, it is, it is the emissions of the jet-setting few or of the wealthy nation's obsession with, you know, beef and cattle raising. These are the kind of things that are hugely impactful. But if we have
0: fewer children in wealthy countries then that's sort of doing what you're, su- you're saying. Uh, like, if you're saying rich people are, are consuming too much, so if rich people don't have children,
1: well, it the, the, the,
0: still helps the problem.
1: Well, the problem is that... Well, no the problem... The, the reality is that, as richer nations have had fewer children, is that they've increased... They've had to increase um, immigration because they've needed more young laborers. And more young people to come in and work in the jobs that ah, can work. but
0: you see, they're not being treated as well as a Canadian-born citizen would be. So therefore, they're not consuming as much.
1: Not as much, but they're still consuming more than they would be. And as and quite quickly, they will within a generation will very likely match the the standard, right? Like, and unless you want to create if
0: they, if they stay here though, but if, if they're if they never get, if they never get status,
1: you could create a permanent subclass and rich class. But as I've said, the other part of the problem is that the rich class would still be then emitting more and more emissions. And so you would not solve the problem. All you would be end up doing is increasing the inequities without actually tackling the, the serious emissions, because the most sticky emissions, the emissions that are hardest to reduce are the ones around, you know, individual people trying to survive right? It's around the infrastructure that we need to survive. It's around the, the getting to and from places, you know, like it doesn't matter really if you're, you're like the emissions of a car driving around the city are the same. If you've, if the person driving it is a person who has, you know, legal landed status or someone who's not, those emissions still exist. And so it's, the, so like all you would be doing would be a, creating an incredibly awful society, which uh, we do not want and should not want, but B, it wouldn't actually get at the stickiest emissions and the rich would continue to feel like they can go and fly ever. Like the one unbelievable point that I came across when looking at this is that flying is 2% of global emissions, which doesn't sound like a lot, but only 20% of people, less than 20% of people, have ever flown in their life. And half of the flying emissions come from only 1% of flyers. And so it means 1% of emissions comes from 1% of people who fly. That seems like not too much. Again, 1% feels low. But keep this in mind. Canada as a country is 1.5% of global emissions. That means 1% of people who fly create as much emissions as two-thirds of Canada. And so, like, you cannot tackle emissions, and you cannot have a conversation about, we're all in this together, we all have to give up sacrifices, unless you can successfully explain, and I think this is the key, and, and make true that tackling climate emissions will make people's lives tangibly better, the majority of people's lives tangibly better. And the only way you can do that is if you are taking from the ultra wealthy and investing in solutions that serve, you know, the average person.
0: Look at take a look at take a look at this. This is one of my news stories.
1: Yeah, I saw that one. I I was gonna mention it earlier, but this is great.
0: Private jets belonging to this is from The Guardian. Private jets belonging to two hundred celebrities, CEOs, oligarchs, and billionaires have spent a combined total of 11 years in the air since the start of 2022. Uh, The carbon footprint of all these flights, which is 44, almost 45,000 flights, would be the equivalent of the total emissions of almost 40,000 Britons. Now, I actually don't know what I mean by total emissions. Is that lifetime emissions? Is that one-year emissions? Is that since 2022? It's confusing. But... They so, so the Guardian used public data to track flights by private aircraft owned or used by celebrities and business people like Elon Musk, the Rolling Stones, the Murdoch family, and Kylie Jenner. I mean, why are the Stones... I don't know why the Rolling Stones think they need to fly at this point. <laughs> I mean, I also don't know why they chose they, celebrities, CEOs, oligarchs, and billionaires. I guess these are just like the most flying people in the world. Yeah. They, they, didn't, they, they just chose perhaps the most... Uh, frequent flight frequent flyers
1: yeah they I mean they only chose um, 200, right? two hundred
0: right so two hundred people, yeah, two hundred people uh, have been flying what, what does it even mean? I've spent a total of of, of eleven years in the air since twenty twenty
1: two so you've add up all the time that all those two hundred flights have been in the air, two hundred uh planes have been in the air
0: that's does that mean there's one plane wow. in the air for eleven years, or all well... of them are in the, not they can 't all be no, no
1: that would be only yeah we as if one plane was flying constantly for 11 those 200 years.
0: people have flown for 11 years
1: yeah or their fl- or their planes have there's not even guarantee that they were the ones in it all the time right this is part of right. the
0: and yeah these 200 people also own 300
1: jets so right.
0: the, the 200 most frequent flyers actually are privately owning
1: more jets than they are
0: people. more jets many more <laughs> jets than they are individuals
1: yeah and and this is it right like this is to me why every time I get see people get stuck in this population thing it's like it feels easier I think and it feels like you're being smart because you're like trying to think about all the deeper seated problems but it's just not true like our population is not going to spike and go on forever That's not the trends we've seen in the last 60 years. In fact, after COVID, the birth rate has even decreased even further than people expected. And the places where we have seen population degrowth have really caused problems for the system. So we we have to change the system partially because it's the one way to actually deal with climate change, but also because there is so much waste in it that it's the way... To actually continue to provide for everyone in a way that is more sustainable, the, the amount of waste that exists in our current system is astronomical, and you know, despite this, you know, idea that capitalism doesn't co- doesn't cause any waste, and so, I just beg of you, if you hear someone try to bring that up in a conversation or try to use that as an argument, that's something we have to really focus on. Push back, and show how out of proportion it is in comparison to so many of these other significant problems we have to face and the emissions that are caused by you know the the richest um people but also richest countries you know like it's not it's also true that say the fact that the united states and canada refuse to invest in public transportation means that our emissions are drastically higher than they should be And these are the kinds of things that we also have to figure out and focus on. And no amount of decreasing population is going to solve this problem unless you are talking about straight up killing people. And I think that's a very bad plan. And I'm against you suggesting that.
0: You need to calm down over there. Should we do a music break?
1: Yeah, let's go to a music break and then take some news. And if folks have other thoughts or suggestions of things I should uh, read or look into about uh, this topic, I would be happy to because apparently I have some people to talk to about this, which was surprising. But my God, please, please let this argument die. There are so many bigger problems in the world.
0: We are going to listen to a song called Moonery by... Yound. Have returned with the Green Majority, CIUT 89.5 FM, your local community radio station, your podcast application, Harbinger Media Network. We just heard the song Moonery by Yound. I was shouting in that track. We have a new album out called Yound 2, currently out, Yound double I. We have dropped a deuce and it is festering. So if you want to just uh click on that digitally in your mind that'll flush it right down <clears throat> for the very aggravated plumber wow that is shouting at my door <laughs> um we're going to do some climate news now The famous climate scientist James Hansen is the lead author of a new study arguing that banning aerosols is going to cause a very dramatic rise in global temperatures much sooner than expected. Hansen has criticized the IPCC for underestimating warming, and some researchers and IPCC authors have rejected his new research. Hansen also believes that fresh water melt from glaciers will impact ocean currents and therefore global weather. Uh, a lot more than the IPCC has predicted. So, here, here, Stefan, we have the 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 ripping apart, the rending of the climate consensus. Climate scientists are arguing with each other, well, I mean, squabbling over petty resources on a dying globe.
1: I mean, the IPCC has always been people arguing with each other. That's literally how the science works, right? Someone releases a paper, someone else reads another paper, they disagree with each other. You ever want to see two people more angry at each other in the world go to anything that surrounds uh, academics in their very niche fields having strong opinions about things? And so, I mean, I think that that disagreement is what leads to better outcomes. And the IPCC has always been very conservative in its estimates. You know, it's always because of the fact that it's trying to get a global consensus. It more often than not does not look at the worst case scenarios, and it has been criticized in the past for, you know, its belief that things will be not as bad as it could be, and and it's been criticized really it's since its inception for this purpose. We've talked about this previously, and that none of that's to say that I think that James Hansen is right about this particular topic. Um, or, or that, you know, I don't have the academic bona fides to just to that too much. But what I will say is that this aerosols conversation is definitely something to keep paying attention to if you have the bandwidth. Because early data has definitely come to show that the banning of aerosols in shipping, which happened a couple years ago, Aerosols um, have a, sh- a known cooling effect. It's one of the things we know for sure cools the Earth, but it only cools the Earth for a couple years before it dissipates. So if you're not constantly putting in the atmosphere, the cooling effect will will leave. And so some of the really terrifying graphs we've seen this year in terms of Arctic sea ice melt or lack of sea ice in the in the in the Antarctic um, and ocean temperatures and things like that. Some of the theories have been that this is because of the banning of aerosols in shipping that happened a couple of years ago. And so I do think that we have to pay some significant attention to what happens over the next couple of years to see how, as the aerosol ban you know, might expand or as, it, as more aerosols sort of come out of the, the global temperature, how much that will have an impact. Um, now, we're also entering, you know, a, a El Nino year or two. Um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how that works, but like we're expecting warm temperatures already. And so that will have a magnifying effect. So it'll be really hard to tell exactly how much all these different things have impacts. But um, truly, we need to make sure and be watching just how much we might see of a spike of temperature. And that does not say that we should actually go back to pumping out aerosols. And in fact, I think we shouldn't. You know, we talked about previously some of these other ideas where people have talked about pumping sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere and selling cooling credits to people as a way to identify that they're helping, which is a level of geoengineering I'm truly not sure I'm comfortable with and a level of geoengineering that... I think masks what we're really doing to the planet. You know, the fact that banning aerosols, which are definitely bad for the environment, they cause significant sets of problems, and so, like, it's not a free pass here by releasing them. But um, the fact that banning them might actually see a big rise means that we've been successfully masking how bad we've actually made it already for so long. And that's really concerning. Right, and so I would say that we should keep an eye on this for sure and and I think that it's only yet another call to reduce emissions as quick as possible, because the one thing about aerosols and about trying to reduce emissions or trying trying to reduce heat alone is that what it doesn't do at all is ma- is actually deal with the emissions caused by. Sorry, not the emissions. It does not deal at all with the other effects of CO2 in the atmosphere. It doesn't stop the acidification of oceans. You know, it doesn't stop all of the other ways that we are messing with the, the, the world. And so it's a, it's a Band-Aid, and it's a Band-Aid that comes with a lot of other toxic problems. And so it really can't be seen as a solution. But if you have the Band-Aid off, you might bleed. And so I do think we have to pay attention to it.
0: Federal MP Mike Maurice is calling for Maurice? Morris. Morris? Yeah. It's spelled Maurice.
1: I've I mean I I know Mike.
0: You know Mike? Yeah.
1: We I worked with him before. Tell him to fix
0: team. his name.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to tell Mike Maurice to fix his name.
0: Maurice. <laughs> he is calling for a win of course you worked for him. Of course, of course, you met him. He's calling for a goddamn windfall tax, mister.
1: I mean, windfall tax, man.
0: Uh, a tax on fossil fuel companies as Canadian oil extraction could be reaching an all-time high in the next couple years. The Toronto Star writes, quote, If the tax was applied to fossil fuel producers, Morris says... The resulting revenue could be used to address the climate crisis and improve affordability for Canadians, namely through investments in public transit, retrofitting buildings, and greening the energy grid. The Office of the Parliamentary Budget Officer estimates that extending the Canada Recovery Dividend to the oil and gas sector and bo- big box stores would generate 4.4 billion dollars. Yes, yeah, big so- box stores. Okay, so here, here, we, here we have here we have Mr. Mr. Wimpy Little Green Boy Trudeau. In power for who knows how long at this point, and Canadian Oil is going to reach an all-time high of, of, of production. Oh yeah, so I what, mean, what's going on there?
1: I mean, uh, he's done nothing to attempt to harm the fossil fuel industry. That that's that, I that's thought I, mean. I was told that he was though. I mean, Daniel Smith would like to think you mm-hmm. were, you know, and and yet he has not. And you know, they might they're going to say they might want an emissions cap, and that would be good if they eventually institute it, but. I mean, unless he miraculously brings along, um, you know, a, uh, what do you call it, Uh, voting reform, he's almost certainly not going to be around past 2025. And so I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily hold my breath. But the windfall tax is obviously a good idea. And one of the reasons why is because we desperately, desperately need to be, again, as I said earlier, showing people how tackling climate change will make their lives tangibly better there's uh this week 350.org canada released a new campaign called show the feds which is a spoof off of the uh daniel smith alberta tell the feds which is a big campaign that the alberta's been running about how a renewable energy is not uh trustworthy that you'll get you know brownouts and blackouts and this and that and you know, I'll increase your energy bills yada 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 none of that is, is is true but that's sort of the push that they're they're having and they're fe- they're focusing on the fact that people are currently you know facing energy poverty are facing uh, a a a crisis in, in money and they're using that to scare you off green uh solutions and one of the things that the government has really not done well i would say has been make people feel like the climate action they are taking is is helping them. Even though, you know, the carbon tax gives back more money to every Canadian who makes less than $250,000 a year, which is a thing that is true and came out recently as well. Um but this 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 work on uh show the feds, which you can find uh from 350 Canada, is is really focusing on the fact that the Ways that we can take action will improve people's lives. And the way, but you want to do that in the ways that people actually see and feel. And so that's why I think the things like taking money from the oil industry, which again, most of these oil industry players have been stocking up the money from their money they've been making, they've been making hand over fist in the last year. And as uh, both Andrew Leach said when we interviewed him, they haven't been using that money for expansion. They've been using that money to, make their shareholders richer and richer and richer. So, it's not like they're costing jobs if you do the windfall tax. They're not they are literally just going to be taking money from the richest people who own these oil industries and putting it back into Canadians lives. And by focusing on things like public transit and and these other and other issues that can actually save people money, you can show people how tackling climate emissions and t- tackling climate change can actually make their life better. And so, I mean, I would love to see something like this actually put money into a personal hobby horse of, host of mine, which is a national bus service. You know, like, let's actually provide ways for Canadians to get across this country without having to rely on public, or sorry, without having to rely on private transport, which is impossible, basically, right now. And let's actually try to make sure that we are, you know, doing the work like a Youth Climate core where young people are given pathways into the work that we desperately need and what we desperately need is a massive retrofitting outfit for almost everyone across Canada. And, you know, as, as a conversation we had with Mitchell beer a couple of weeks ago showed like there's a ton of opportunity there if you just invest in it and where can you find that money? You can find that money in the hands of the oil industry, which is very happily taking it all in. And so like, I mean, I, I, don't. I'm not going to hold my breath that this is something the Trudeau government will do, and but 4.4 billion dollars could do a lot of good for the lives of Canadians, and it it's currently not doing that in the hands of the oil executives who've been making it. So,
0: <clears throat> and we are going to go to another music break. We're going to listen to a second yawned song. This is called Oceanside. And it is smooth as butter. (laughs) ¶¶
2: us and grows through us on warm nights like this one when your baby is weeping in fistful Loving through the moon until the morning grows. Violet with a gold, peach and an orange glow. With red around its circle, and the rainbow light through a crystal new window. And splash upon your eyelash and indigo. When in the center of the sun is a metronome, making all the earth beat in a perfect tone. We are a wave floating on an endless drone. Getting low, what do we know? Just that the light is on us, and in us, and on the leaf, and your beauty.
0: And we have returned with the green majority on CIUT eighty nine point five FM. Um your local community radio station Harbinger Media Network. That was a song called Oceanside by Yound. I was speaking on that track. We have a new album out called Yound 2. Yound Roman numeral 2. Y O U N D. Get it before it's gone. Um Canadian so we're doing we're continuing with climate news. Yes. Canadian carbon capture and storage companies released an industry report in October saying they won't be able to meet the decarbonization goals they're supposed to meet according to government planning. Fossil fuel companies have been telling governments that they will not invest in carbon capture and storage unless it is almost entirely subsidized by the people. Energy consultant David Schlissel recently told The Energy Mix, quote, The wider CCS industry has been defending these claims of 90%, 95% capture for years with no evidence that that's going to be achieved. This kind of analysis should definitely not encourage governments to double down on CCS subsidies. It should lead them to raise greater doubts about whether these targets will be achieved. The only way carbon capture and storage will be financially viable is with permanent and very high subsidies at a time when renewable energy costs are falling.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is just one more reason that we cannot rely on carbon capture and storage. It is v- time and time again. We've said it's a largely a play by the oil industry. Most of carbon capture storage is being used. Uh, the what has been captured is used to push more uh, fossil fuels out into uh, into the into being able to be produced and then burned later. And so you just can't trust it. Like and it's, there's, a, it's
0: there's a strangely intense arrogance from these fossil fuel companies. It would seem. I mean, Where they're like, they're like, give us money to do carbon capture and storage. We will, we will, we will, we have net zero plans, but we will not be decarbonizing unless you give us enough money. Oh, and if you, if you, if you make it too stringent, we're not going to do it at all. I mean, it's yeah,
1: like, I mean, it's, it's, it's earned arrogance. They've basically got their way for everything ever, right? Like, how can you not be arrogant when everyone's pushing for a, you know, a, a response to COVID that takes and improves everyone's life and instead you give two billion dollars to the oil industry so that they cannot clean up their oil wells right like the oil industry ha- you know has an enormous amount of power in this country and the fact that we as Canadians sort of like to pretend that we are not as captured as other states by the fossil fuel companies is just a, a symptom of our collective delusion the the only emission reductions you can trust are fossil fuels that are left in the ground. All other emission reduction can be taken away in some way. And so, you know, like, there are many things we should be doing. Obviously, we should be protecting more green space. Obviously, we should be rewilding. Obviously, we should be finding ways to, you know, bring back more life into our oceans. And all of that can be done away with by a next government government. The only thing that we can hopefully do is keep as much emissions in the ground as possible until the point where we can never need them again.
0: Carbon Brief is reporting that China's emissions will begin to decline next year thanks to major clean energy investments. A new UN report is saying that global planned fossil fuel expansion vastly exceeds world climate goals. The ICN ICN is reporting that U.S., Brazil, and Saudi Arabia planning to hugely increase domestic oil production while Russia, India, and Indonesia will greatly expand coal.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is incredible news on top of very bad news. The fact that China emissions might peak next year is some of the news that's like, it will go by quickly, you know, it's in our, we're talking about it, you know, near the end of the episode. And yet it is the biggest news potentially of this year. We talked about it briefly with Mitchell Beer uh, a couple weeks ago about how, you know, it's the kind of thing that in 30 years when we've successfully hit zero emissions will be seen as a significant turning point. You know, the fact that people are constantly pointing to China as the reason why we can't decarbonize or, boy, it doesn't matter if we do or not. And the fact that they are going to peak emissions six at least six years earlier than people were most often expecting very recently, and that it will then start decreasing is both you know good news from the jump and very much you gotta hope that they are then able to sort of use their economic weight to push these other countries that are expanding emissions to do something different um you know and and so it's on the rest of the world to actually live up to some of their own climate commi- commitments and find a way to stop increasing their own fossil fuel expansions but the it's still good news like the the fact that china emissions might peak is truly good news goldman sachs
0: is predicting that the price of electric vehicle batteries will drop 40% by 2025 half of that is coming from cheaper lithium nickel and cobalt now how much of that cheap lithium nickel and cobalt is because we're just destroying like the Congo.
1: I mean percentages of of different things. I I don't know enough who, about I mean
0: who knows, but but when, when when they say like oh more more mines are coming online, therefore these these precious minerals are dropping in price. But like the Congo is literally being torn apart because we're 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 mining uh, for cobalt and stuff there,
1: yeah. I mean, uh, mining is and remains an absolute blight on the earth, right? Um, and that is continues to be true. Now, th- there are some companies that are trying to find better ways to do it, or ways that you know are more in line with the people who are are living there. And so, I think you have to find a way to break the worst actors. Um, down and and fight them and honestly i don't know whether or not there are a lot of mining companies out there that i would even pretend are are not also maybe they're all the worst actors in which case we need an absolute overhaul of the mining industry overall you know and and ideally you can do that and continue to access uh the the minerals and also you have to start figuring out how to reuse the minerals that you've already pulled up. You know, there you cannot in the entire industry to go back to those, you know, the whole concept around population growth and jump, you can't be relying on extraction forever. There has to be a new plan. There has to be a new path forward where we are reusing and repairing the things that we have and you know assembling the batteries to rebuild new batteries to reuse these precious minerals, because it doesn't matter. um, Ultimately, if we are able to get these items cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, at some point they will run out. And that is a fact. And so we have to start finding ways to not to build in systems of circularity and ways that we are not, Constantly going back to the fact that we are, you know, the externalities of horrendous civil rights abuses or environmental destruction to, you know, to re- to allow for the continued. Well, not just
0: civil rights abuses, but like slavery.
1: I Sure. I mean, it's I mean, it's different in different places. But yes, slavery is obviously, you know, the worst of these atrocities. <sighs>
0: Um, internal emails are showing that act, the activists who successfully opposed the pipeline by Canadian company Pembina in Oregon are still being heavily monitored and intrusively surveilled years after the project was canceled. Yeah. I mean, this is, so this is like the company sort of paid to monitor these people, these social justice activists, uh, as like criminals. And then even though they canceled the pipeline, they're still monitoring them for some reason. I mean, maybe just because they find it convenient to have the apparatus.
1: I mean, you can imagine it like this is exactly, you know, some of the work that we are when we interviewed Amy Westervelt back in August, some of the work that she wanted to do with Drilled Global was to talk about how the companies, oil companies and extractive companies across the world were using the similar strategies to push and fight activists. And a big part of that is through surveillance. It's through private security. It's through paying for our public, you know, police to do their bidding, you know, all of this is part of this apparatus that they're using that globally to to tackle it. And so, I mean, go check out some of the great work from Drill Global. They, they just hired a few new people on board uh, to do some great other great work. And so they're still doing some awesome things and growing. And it's the only way to, to keep up on it is to have a global organization that's sort of following the, the ways that these fossil fuel companies are Trying to trample the rights of activists,
0: and this has been the green majority. Join us next week as we traverse the greening cosmos, the endless universal love that doth shower in golden fountains and horses upon our grateful scalps. What is venality, brother West? Everybody up for sale. Everything is up for sale. Just offer enough money and I can rearrange the narrative in order for me to gain access to the position. That's called selling your soul for a mess of pottage. And sellout is very real. It's possible to have deep sincerity and have disagreement. You say what you mean and you mean what you say and be wrong. That's different. That's why Malcolm X never sold out. Malcolm X said, white people are devils. How come you say that, Malcolm? Because I believe it. Then he came back. I was wrong. Too many white brothers and sisters have devilish behavior.
2: You're right about that.
0: But he wouldn't sell out no matter what the claim was, because he said what he meant, and he meant what he said.